You are listening to the Tricer Podcast, where we talk all things hunting, gear, and the great outdoors. Before we begin, let's start things out right and put God first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tricer, and I ask that you can use this podcast as a way to bring joy to all of our listeners. We lay Tricer and this podcast at your feet. Amen. All right, Tricer Podcast, joined today by founder and CEO of Timber Ninja Outdoors, a uh, an out east guy, right? Not a western guy. He does hunt out west, but he lives in North Carolina. Chases whitetails, and um, he's creating some of the most innovative mobile hunting tree saddle systems in the industry now. So, Jason Red, uh, welcome to the Treasure Podcast. Tell me about you, dude. What is Timber Ninja Outdoors? Uh, well. We were a mobile hunting pro- uh, products company based out of Asheville, North Carolina. So, you know, we specialize in making innovative um, products. You know, we, we make carbon fiber climbing sticks. We make um, the most innovative tree saddles, uh, saddle platforms. We're about to get into backpacks. We've got some backpacks about to launch. Camera arms for people that are solo self-filming. And we make all of our stuff here in the United States. So we've been in business May of 2020. Like e-bike into in even in San Diego's local mountains and get into some of these trees that other guys aren't necessarily tree stand hunting because they're you know tree stands are closer to the road generally you can't get them in there and, and, and trying this tree saddle out so I like out here I feel like a lot of our trees though aren't like in my mind I imagine it has to be like a pole like a like a like a foam pole to tree saddle hunt like it, it, we have a lot of like oak trees and stuff and like do I need to be only in pine trees or how does this I mean, how does it transcend? It doesn't matter about the tree as long as, you know, like the cool thing about saddle hunting is you can get it to any tree, you know, and I use, there's a lot of times, like if you have a tree, like a spruce or something has a lot of branches, I'll even use some of the branches to climb and only use a couple climbing sticks. And then you get up there and you, you essentially tether, a, you know, you girth hitch an eight millimeter rope around a tree and you hook into it with either a mechanical or, um, you know, like a prusik type uh, friction hitch. And you clip in your saddle of that, and you're kind of hanging off, you know. Um, like, you, you know, if anybody's familiar with climbing, like you're just hanging there, like at a belay station or something. So, um, yeah, you can get you in some tight spots, I will say. Uh, man, if you're getting put on the e bike in there, you're going to be a saddle hunter for any time. Like, e bike, saddle, you're, you're going to be fitting the culture, brother. Yeah, man. Uh, it just, I feel like it's something he's like, like you said, it's an art, something I add to my arsenal, something I add to my quiver of ways to hunt. Uh, I just got to figure it out. Like I said, I think the, like, the best thing for me to do would be go out and actually try it first and figure out how to do it. Cause I don't have any rock climbing experience. I don't have any tree stand experience. I've never even sat in a tree stand. Um, but you're, from, is it a big learning curve to doing this or can you just figure it out? YouTube videos and I can no. make it? Yeah. When we make a lot of, videos on our youtube channel Timber Ninja outdoors uh walking people through the process so you know it takes a little bit to get accustomed to the rope management you know uh that's essentially you know one piece but once you get it dialed in and i always suggest people like don't buy this night before you're going hunting like buy it also get out and shoot in it because like you know your, your shooting form's going to change a little bit if you're a bow hunter especially like you know I hunt with traditional equipment, so like I have to use consistent form. So like I gotta make sure my posture is always consistent. 
And a lot of times when people have been sitting in a saddle, they start to, you know, slouch a little bit and that can mess with your form. So this, yeah, play with it in the spring, summer and get ready for it and, you know, for the hunting season. But it's, it's pretty easy. And it definitely, in my opinion, it's the safest way to get up a tree and hunt. Uh, Cause if you are to fall, you know, if you fall in a traditional climbing harness, you got all the slack in your, in your lanyard that's going to come out. So in self-rescue is kind of a hard thing because you're attached from the back. So it's hard to self-rescue when you're attached in the back. But when you're attached in the front, like you are in a tree saddle, uh, and also, you know, you, you rarely have, you know, any more than two feet in your uh, rope system. So if you fall, you're just going to kind of slip and swing. So self-rescue is not really that big of an issue either. But And I always tell people, you know, when you're climbing and using products is always be thinking about what your exit strategy is if something does happen. You know, like you, you got to find a way to self-rescue because, you know, a lot of places we all go, we are uh, without phone service and stuff. So a lot of it's on us if something does go south, right? So we need to have a good, um, you know, extract plan there if something was to go down. It, that makes sense too. So you really are, cause it's, it is going to your kind of like, I don't want to say it's going to your crotch, but like, that's kind of like the ropes in the front of you on these things. Right. And it goes to your waist, right? Yeah. So, you, you essentially, you know, like a climbing harness connects into a master point in the center, you know, in your belay okay. loop. Um, but with a, a saddle, you have a, a, what they call a bridge. That's a rope or a piece of am still that goes from like one hip to the other. And then you have a carabiner that's connected into that. And then that carabiner connects needed to your mechanical, um, your mechanical ascender, like a Kong duck or, you know, like a, a prusik, you know, friction hitch knot that you connect into that holds you in place. And then what you're able to do is when you have that carabiner attached into that bridge rope, you're able to swing side to side when you're in position. So you can, you know, swing to your left, take a shot and then, you know, swing over to your right. So it gives you a lot of movement up in the tree while you're still protected. You can be kind of hands free. You also can take great naps up there because you're fully locked in, you know. Really? So you can take day, a... you, get, <laughs> you get sleepy. So, it, so in theory, you're sitting, even though you're even though you're tied to a tree, it feels like there's no weight on your legs. It feels like you're just sitting in a saddle, like sitting well, there, like a hammock. Like you're kind of leaning back. You're kind of leaning back into your saddle. So, you know, there's pressure that comes into your legs because you got like a little saddle platform you stand on or you can use it on a tree stand or, you know, even you can stand on a limb if you want to. So there is some pressure applied, but you're kind of just leaning back against the rope and the saddle is swathing you like, a you know, a lot of people call them tree diapers. I do imagine it would be easier to shoot from a saddle because like in a tree stand, traditionally you're sitting, right? And you're kind of stuck in one spot. You're, with a saddle, you could like, from like the videos I've seen of people online, they, you could almost like kick around the tree a little bit and like get out. So you can like, you're still able to shoot from a standing position. Is it easier to shoot from a saddle than it is from a sitting position or different? It depends on what you're comfortable with, you know. Uh, one, the one beauty of a tree saddle is you're able to kind of move yourself around the tree a little bit to kind of keep the tree in between you and that animal that you're hunting. Uh, so it, it allows you some, you know, some concealment there. Okay. So now I don't want to know I'm thinking about this, but I'm left-handed. I feel like I would have to keep the tree facing me, right? Like, so I couldn't be, if, what if I was on the other side of the tree? Could I shoot from the other side of the tree with my back against the tree? With the you saddle? Can. Or? I mean, if, if certain platforms, you, you know, we make a larger platform where you can stand and turn around and, 
face the tree, you know, have your back to the tree. But okay. most of the time you're, you're, you're facing the tree with a tree in between you and the area that you expect the game. And, and when the, and you're not hunting huge trees with these, usually like a basketball size or smaller is okay. the ideal size tree. Okay. That's where I'm kind of wondering too, if like San Diego, cause we have like, we do have some areas with pine trees, but they're big giant trees. So I'd have to find like a 16 inch round and smaller tree would be ideal for this. Um, or just go out there with a big pole saw and get an oak tree and start cutting out a shooting lane, right? And I can get up in the oak tree yeah. of some sort. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can do that too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever opens up some shooting lanes for you. So what makes, um, this is actually like super, it's fascinating for me. I know this is probably like you're talking to a kindergartner right now about tree saddles and you're like, this is boring. But for me, this is fascinating. And I feel like, especially like in SoCal, like we just are not familiar with these things. Um, what makes Timber Ninja like different than the other saddles? Like what are you doing differently? I mean, we incorporate things like business. Like there's always one company that kind of starts something like, you know, we talked about earlier, like we didn't start making it. First people make tree saddles, right? You have a lot of people, you know, one person that starts making it and starts getting a, you know, a market going. And then you have everybody that wants to copy them. You know, whereas like, you know, people like us and you, like we're innovators, so we want to do everything different and make it things better. So everybody else, most of their saddles all look pretty much the same, use the same materials. You know, we at Timber Ninja, we always look for the most innovative materials, whether it be in our, you know, climbing sticks or our platforms or our tree stands or backpacks or saddles. So like with our saddles, for instance, like we use different materials than other people like they the art proprietary materials like we have a nano saddle which is the lightest saddle on the market weighs essentially a pound and it will wad up the wad up to the size of a nalgene bottle so you can just stuff it in your pack but it has a four-way stretch material that stretches more one way than the other so we have the most stretch going um horizontally so it kind of wraps around you a little more and it fits like a pair of pants and there's nobody else's saddle does that like you can walk in this thing you don't even know it's on if you want to wear it in with you. Uh, we also incorporate things that magnetically, we have mag magnetic attachments on the sides to like carry your climbing sticks up with you as you're, because with climbing sticks, you put one to get up the tree and then you set another one and climb up and progress higher, right? So we have, uh, you know, technology there to add the climbing sticks to hang from you so they're easy to get to. Um, and we have a platform hanger, so whatever your platform or tree stand that you're using, you can hang from the back so it's ready to grab. Uh, we make a two-panel saddle, and they're all super comfortable. Like, I, I would argue they're probably some of the most comfortable on the market. Um, but mainly, like, our thing is materials and just making cool shit. Like, you know, like, that's, that's why I like doing it. Like, uh, I don't look at competition. I just, you know, I compete against myself. and always wanting to make you know it's like a reason i've never gotten really any patents i've got a few patents pending but like i never really cared about patents because like i just felt like when somebody was ready to knock my product up off i was already ahead of them again with a yeah. new product and that's when i run out of ideas is when it's time for me to leave the helm you know like I, i'm not going to be stoked anymore if i've ran out of ideas and not passionate about making cool stuff i just don't want to make something and um sit on some legacy product until I'm ready to retire. That would be boring as hell. Yeah. That's why when we talked uh, like a month ago, I was like, we're going to be really good friends because 
like I, similar to you, and I know you're the same way. I'm constantly chasing perfection, right? And people don't even see it. Like I came out with this LP panhead, and if you talk to 99% of people who use it, they're going to tell you it's the best panhead they ever had. It couldn't get any better. And like I've already made like two two changes to that panhead that no one's even going to know about, or three changes. And then now I'm about to make a, a fourth change to this four and a half ounce panhead because I'm constantly chasing perfection. And, and it doesn't make it better than the old pan. It's just things that I've seen that I'm like, I can make that better by adding this. I can make, and it's already, like Gen 1 is already the best, but I can make it better, right? And that's really what innovation is, is continuing to chase perfection and change just small changes, right? Like you said, like you were climbing a tree and you're like, damn, instead of tying these things to my leg, I can use a magnet. And then I can just snap it off, right? And like, that's a small change that isn't necessarily groundbreaking, but it's going to continue. They, they, it's almost like it's snow, almost like innovation snowballs, right? Like, like my whole tripod company started off of like using two trekking poles as a using one trekking pole as a thing to hold my binoculars, and then it's now evolved into this like you know I have a new tripod that I just shared with the world yesterday called the JC where. The whole thing is micro adjustments and it's the most insane tripod I've ever seen. And if you would have told me, you know, in 20, 2017, when I created the first prototype for my GTP one trekking bowl tripod, that I would be making the Tricer JC in 2023, I wouldn't even be able to fathom it. But it's those small changes that really kind of compound and, and it, it kind of what gets me off. Like it, was, it keeps me up at night. It makes me excited. And like, I really like like, creating something cool and then having someone be like, man, that is bitching. That's awesome. Like I feed off of that. I feed off making awesome gear that helps guys kill things. Right. It helps guys be more successful hunting. Right. And it's kind of like our, like my place in the industry, right. Is creating, like, I'm never going to be Ryan Lampers. Like Ryan kills the biggest animals. Brady Miller kills the biggest animals. Right. Vernella kills these giant animals. I'm never going to be that great of a hunter. Like I, I, I try my hardest, but I'm never going to kill like them. But what I can do is innovate things that help those guys be better. And I love that. And I love tweaking things like you're saying and making it better. So like taking a tree saddle system and making it better, right? Like it, like if we ever went hunting together in the tree saddles, I'd probably come out and be like, dude, Jason, what if you like did this? Because that's yeah. how my mind works, right? Like, like I, my mind's always like, how can I make – this better and i feel like that's what you did with the tree saddle it's really it's really encouraging yeah man i mean that's what gets me psyched is like what you know how can i make something better it's not better than everybody else but it's better than what i already have and but also yeah. like time in the woods and using stuff and like i think for a person to be a really good innovator you have to have that field experience because as you know, like I'm sure in your industry, just like mine, you have a lot of people that just create stuff on CAD and they send it to make products and they put it out to the consumers to test. I see it all the time. That's why you have, you know, I see it like people have failures on their products that they have to do recalls. And I see, you know, they end up coming out with gen two, gen three, gen four, because like they haven't spent the time field testing and like, Build testing is fun to me. It's like I'm testing some new stuff right now. And, like, I mean, I had a product fail on me. Like, I knew it was going to fail, and it failed. But, like, you know, like I said, like, I had a, a extract plan. If something was to go down, like, I was like, all right, if it 
I know it's going to fail when it does, like I'm going to be safe. I'm cool. But you know, like I just get psyched on the whole process there. Like I could give two shits about the marketing and like you were talking about earlier, like doing content for myself, which I get forced into it. Um, but, and that's kind of, you know, how we got connected because I've been self filming a lot more. And, uh, I wanted a lightweight pan head for my, uh, camera arm for my little camera. And you had the lightest one and the coolest one I've seen. Like I've been carrying this long, you know, these other ones that were longer and they just take up so much pack space. And, uh, yeah, so that's why I think, you know, you and I gel in a couple of different areas because we both have that kind of mind and there's not everybody has that type of brain though. You know what I mean? Like, and, or the passion, like you said, I sit up at night just thinking about stuff all the time. Like, how can I make my stuff better? And like what, just researching materials, you know, like I'll try to find the most innovative, coolest material. Like I just found a company this year. We're about to start working with, uh, we already are working with on some new products, but they have like some of the most cutting edge carbon, technology out you know it's just it's used in different industries but i get stoked about that too it's just like what's other people in other industries doing that i can utilize here that's just that's the fun part of it and i think when you do that it also causes your competition to have to step up because you know nobody likes to be getting left behind yeah capitalism is a beautiful thing right like i get um people hammer me and they'll be like oh you're copying this guy or oh you're you know, I'm making a new rifle clamp that's coming out and people are coming out and saying, oh, you're copying this clamp company. I'm like, yeah, they made one, but theirs is polymer and it's, you know, five inches long and huge and it weighs 18 ounces and mine's built aluminum. It has Arca built into it and it weighs 10 ounces. Yeah. Right. So like I'm making something better because like I'm so, like you said, I'm using my stuff and I'm selfishly building products for myself. Right. So yeah. like I'm out there using it. And like that new, that new rifle clamp between me and my friends, we have nine kills off this clamp this year. We wanted an elk hunt and we were able to kill three cows off of this clamp, off my LP panhead and off my tripod over 300 yards. Like the proof is in that pudding where I can go and sell this to people and be like, yeah, it works. Like it's not just some knockoff thing. It's something that's better than what's out there, and it's going to help you kill stuff. And, and I confidently can tell you that because I'm using it. Like I'm never going to build something that I'm not going to use. And yeah. like I'll even go further on that. Like I don't know how you handle it. You said you had a failure on something you made, but it was a prototype. Like man, when things go wrong with my stuff, like if there is something wrong that can be improved. It, it eats me alive. Like I, I will, I want to make it better. I want to figure out a way to fix it and make it better for people. Cause I, I want to chase perfection, right? Like if I, if I make a product and it's like, Oh, I, I need to change this on this tripod. I don't just say, Oh, just keep making them. It's good enough. I'm like, no, we're going to make that change. Right. And even to the point where sometimes it's not even necessary, right? Like I have my AD and BC tripods are, are incredible. Right. But the twist locks are not fully waterproof as, as, I, as I want them to be. So nobody's – only one guy's had an issue with it, and it wasn't even an issue. He just told me. This is one guy out of – I don't even know how many thousands of tripods we've sold now. And I spent the last, like, three months, like, working with engineers to develop a fully waterproof twist lock system for my tripods. So from – now going forward, every tripod Tricer makes, including the new JC, will have will be fully waterproof. 
Well, and that's just we, something that that's just something I did, not because I had to. And honestly, it probably doesn't add, it doesn't add to my bottom line. It doesn't add to it doesn't add to like money I'm making. It just uh, but it makes it better. And that's something that's going to push the industry forward. Is like, hey, these these tripods are fully waterproof now, right? Like if you're on if you go out to Alaska and you get stuck in what rain for, you know, seven days straight, you're not going to have any issues with water getting down in there, you know, and having to take it apart. Like it's just those are the kind of things that I think the industry needs to advance, right? And if if you only have one guy building tripods, which is kind of how it's been in our industry, like a bunch of photography tripod companies, then like one real hunting tripod company and the other guys were all kind of just making photography tripods. If only one guy's doing, you're not going to see any changes. Right. But if you other guys start pushing the envelope, it's going to cause that one guy that's been doing it for a long time to start making changes as well. And you need that. Like you, if, if, if an industry is stagnant, you're not going to see any change or any growth. And like, honestly, hopefully Tricer inspires other people to come out and create stuff as well and compete with me. Like I want competition because the more competition there is, the more we're going to see innovation, the more we're going to see tripods getting better, and the more animals we're going to find, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, I think, you know, we're in a pretty cool stage, um, with, you know, outdoor products in general. It's like, you know, you look at, like, hunting clothing. Look how far that's advanced, you know? like Oh, yeah. J- Jason Harrison, essentially, the hunting clothing market was pretty stagnant. And then Jason Harrison, when he started Q- or Sitka, originally like he really set the bar higher you know and then he went on to do it with QU and like now hunting clothing is light years ahead of where it was you know they they've taken a lot of you know it's kind of like what you were saying earlier earlier like for like myself with having a lot of a diverse background like I'm taking stuff from other industries and apply them into one I'm making products for you know essentially like hunting clothing was has kind of advanced from taking ideas from the mountaineering and climbing world and incorporating it into clothing um, so it's just so cool to see. And like, like, I, like you said, I, I, there's enough market out there for all of us. And I've made some good relationships with some of my competitors. And the funny thing is there's a lot of competitors that will be your friends until they realize you're a threat. And then all of a sudden they like, you know, start sending you cease and assist or trying to bully or whatever. And it's just, it's funny to me. It just shows people's insecurities and it, it, it gives me desire. Cause like when somebody starts doing things like that, to me, it just makes me realize that what I'm doing is right. And it's just like being an endurance athlete or, you know, you know, I've done some mixed martial arts stuff. It's like, it just makes me bite down in that mouthpiece harder and go as hard as I can. Like when, when I see the weakness in somebody else, uh, which is cool. Like I can shake their hand, but at the end of the day, you're my competitor and I'm out there to beat you. Um, which, you know, although I, I feel like I'm competing against myself and, but I just, I get stoked on competition and making cool stuff and innovating and just seeing like where things go. Like there's so many products I see other people come out with. I'm like, man, that's badass. You know, uh, even if it's a competitor, like I'll, I'll, I'll fit my hat to anybody, you know, I, I just love seeing cool stuff. Cause like, I am a gear junkie. I mean, most of us are right. Yeah, man. I, I like that you said that. Cause I am one of the most competitive people you'll ever be. Right. And, and I really have been dumped on by a few companies in the industry, especially when I first started out. And I think if they could go back and understand what that did for me to like, not necessarily pit, oh, it piss me off, but like, be like, I'm going to get you. I'm not going to get you by bashing. I'm going to get you by being better than you. Like it's like those, like, I mean, we're talking like 
month one, I had season and desist letters from co- like big companies, and I was and I wasn't doing anything wrong. They were just basically throwing stuff at me. And uh, now five years later, if they only knew, like they if they could just call me, like, hey man, how you doing? Let's work together. It would have been so much better for them than like what they did because now I'm just like, you just motivated me to figure out how to make the best freaking tripod you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like you just motivated me to do this. Like you just motivate like it's but I'm competitive, right? Like I love watching like The Last Dance of Michael Jordan. I'm not Michael Jordan. But, like you watch that movie or that documentary, and it talks about like it only took like one thing for Jordan to get on fire and he just he'd go out there and throw 70 points up. Right? He'd be yeah. like, Oh, I walked out and this guy didn't say hi to me at dinner last night. Right. Or this guy didn't shake my hand after the game. So I had to drop 70 points. I'm embarrassed. Right. And like, that's kind of how I am with business. Like, you know, I, you'll never see me. Like people will go on the, they might bash my competitors. Like someone bashed my competitors last night. And I just, I always respond. Hey man, they're a great competitor. I hope they keep continue to innovate. Like you're never going to see me bash them. But when those competitors are going on to like my stuff and bashing me and like going on to my, like really gets me mad is when I have paid ads. Cause like we do do, I know you've only done $700 in ads. I do a lot of money in paid ads. Um, when you go into my paid ads and you bash me, that that hurts. That really that sucks, man. Like I had a guy do it recently, and I had to call. I called him out. Like I just I, I actually messaged him because I he, he was doing it. I'm like I couldn't figure out why this guy kept bashing me on my ads, and then I realized that he owned like owned one of my competitors. Yeah. And so I messaged him, and I'm like, Hey, man, what are you doing, dude? Like I think what you're doing is so cool. Like why are you bashing me? He's like, oh, well, you did this, this, and this. And I'm like, dude, like, honestly, I didn't even know that you made that. Like, no offense. Like, I've seen your stuff one time in five years. I was not coming after you at all. He just misinterpreted it and started coming after me. And I'm just like, really? Like, why are you doing that? Why Instead of bashing me, why don't you just go make your thing better? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm coming out with this new um, binocular clamp right now. And for the, the ones I'm making are specifically for Swarovski, the NL Pures and EL Ranges. And there's some guys making plastic bino clamps out there. And you would think that I like started World War III by just making this clamp. And people were just like, you're copying this guy. And you're just a knockoff. And I'm just like, dude, for one, it's billet aluminum. For two, it is a perfectly fitting piece that has no outside external uh, bolts on it, nothing. It's still cl- so much cleaner. And for three, it will never break. Right, it is it is a better product through and through, and people get so upset about that. And it's just like, man, like that's how innovation happens. But instead of getting upset about it, maybe what's going to happen is that competitor that people are upset about will up his game and start making some aluminum ones, right? Right, and like I'm coming out with a universal vinyl clamp that's like nothing anyone's ever seen before. Right, there's a lot of guys out there. They have stuff with bolts on them. They have stuff that have like big straps on them. I can't talk about it right now. I was going to say like, it's motivating to me that these guys coming after me. Cause I'm like, you know what? Now I'm going to create a universal one. That's better than anything anyone's ever seen. And it'll be a one size fits all bino clamp that fits every binocular industry, no matter what shape they are. Cause despite popular belief, binoculars aren't round. They're oval octagon. They're weird shaped, uh, triangular. And, and but these guys keep coming after me and giving me crap for these two bino clamps. It just motivated me to go and create this other one that I've been working on for the last like four or five months that uh, is going to smoke what they're doing. Right. But it's like, man, if you were just like not done that, I probably wouldn't even have pursued this. I don't think you yeah. understand that when they, when they do it, it just motivates me more to like keep building cool stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, there's things I've wanted to do with people, man, like I compete with that have done some kind of off-color stuff like that to me. That just shows their insecurities and their weaknesses. Um, I, yeah, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, chasing hobbies and sports to humble me because, like, I think humility is the biggest characteristic that we should have. And I wish more people were more humble. And, you know, and we all have to fight with our egos, right? The ego presents itself yeah. all the time. But there's a lot of times I just want to send my competitors copies of the book, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. So, like, <laughs> just put them in check. Uh, but I love it when I do that because I'm just, you know, like, I had, a, I've had multiple occasions like that. And I mean, I remember when we were first getting started, I got a message in social media from one of my competitors, you know, it was acting like it was their secretary messaging me, but it was actually the, per- the owner saying that such and such wanted to talk to me. He was kind of like a, you know, like a pioneer and somebody I somewhat looked up to until this situation. And, you know, he called me and threatened me saying I was infringing on a patent, which I was not. And he didn't have a patent. He was kind of known to be a bully. But, you know, as being an entrepreneur, you're always thinking you're about to fail. So you're always like, oh, I'm sucking. Yeah. I'm about to fail. But when he did that and like called me and I, I, I knew that was a weakness, you know, that he was showing his weakness and showed me his card. And it just gave me more fuel to just roll and be like, okay, we're gonna, if we've got one of the top companies like already hitting us up and we haven't even like launched anything for sale yet, we're doing something right. And, um, you know, yeah, I just get stoked. And then I just let them do their thing, man. And I just focus on what I do. And, you know, that's the beauty of capitalism and being an entrepreneur. And not everybody's, you know, there's so many people in the world that think they're, they're an entrepreneur, but there's only a small percentage of people that are willing to do what it takes. You know, it, it's definitely a, I will say like, I wasn't born with this characteristic. Um, I think endurance sports gave me a lot of confidence and taught me a lot that helped, helped me uh, to, when I chose the path to start working for myself uh, because it's, it's a freaking grind and it's a, it's like running the worst ultra of your life. You know, you have these peaks and valleys all the time. Like, you're climbing the mountain and you're always struggling and then you're like, Oh, it sucks. I want to quit. Then you get to the top and you coast down and you're like, Oh, this is awesome. But then there's another mountain to climb. And that's, that's really what motivates me most of, you know, besides innovating products. I just love the, the challenge of being an entrepreneur. Like I, I, I love, I've always been like, been the underdog growing up, like my whole life, I've always been underdog or, um, nothing's ever been handed to me. So like working hard and just sticking to it, man, it just, it's, I don't know. It's a passion of mine. Like, I, yeah, I get stoked. Yeah, man. Um, I have some similar stories it, and like it, for one, as an entrepreneur, like people, when people don't see everyone thinks you can be an entrepreneur, make all this money. I haven't taken money. Tricer came out of another company that I started in 2013 where I just reinvesting that money for the last, I haven't taken any money from that company at all. Like it's all gone back into this company's products. So like, it's not glitz and glamor. It's more like being willing to get kicked in the teeth and never quit is what entrepreneurship yeah. is. That's, people, that's yeah. what people miss. It's like, like most people are better set, set for a day job because uh, they might be jealous and throw rocks to the guy who has the big company someday. But they didn't see that to get to that point, that guy freaking kicked and screamed and fought. Uh, funny story, kind of similar to yours. That's why I really enjoyed. Like I told you, we're gonna be friends, man. Uh, there's a there's a tripod company that I look up to so much, who's been so innovative in the industry. Um, 
and I, I made my stuff, my, my first things and they ordered, they ordered my tripod. And I was just like, Jack, I'm thinking these guys are buying it because they want to work with me and they want to like, we're going to like, maybe they'll sell my stuff in their store. Like these guys, they want to, they want to work with me. And so I emailed the guy, the owner, and I tell him like, oh man, thank you so much. I'm so, it never responded. Nothing. I was like, that's weird. So then, you know, like a week goes by and I get a phone call from his secretary and he goes, hey, this is so-and-so from so-and-so. They all just met about your stuff and looked at it. We're ready to return it now. Oh man. Oh dude. It like, you want to talk about the biggest mistake they ever made? That would be one of them if they knew what they did to me there. Cause like, that was like so embarrassing for me. Like I had told like friends, like this company bought my stuff and we're going to work. I'm, I was so excited. I was just, cause I had just started out. Like I was having this big company bought my stuff. And then to do that to me, dude, it just motivated me and it fired me up. And it, that will stick with me the rest of my career. What those guys did to me and the way they embarrassed me, but not even calling me back, not even not being willing to call. And those same guys, since then have gone on to like my paid ads and bashed me and had their friends do it. And it's like, dude, every time you do that, you're just like losing 10 customers because I'm just going to continue to build cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had another company like when I first started out and the owner messages me and he's like, Hey, this is so-and-so from so-and-so blah, blah, blah. I like what you're doing. What's your, um, you know, what's your phone number and email? Blah, blah, blah. So I give it to him. And then his lawyer sends me a freaking cease and desist. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, dude, uh, like those things stick with me, man. It really does. Oh, it's dude. like, I don't, so it was, uh, well, it, it sticks with me. That's, that's factor, man. It's intimidating. Yeah, you know you're doing something. I do, man. Like I had a company, uh, editor that fired an employee that was a friend of mine. And, uh, that was in a non-compete. And like, you know, he bought gear for me and was just talking about it. And they send me a letter saying that he's under a non-compete. And I'm like, wait, and he's, he's like, you know, this person's under a non-compete and can't be working for you. And I'm like, dude's not working for me. He's just a, he's just a happy customer. It's like, it's so hilarious, man. Like these people's insecurities, man. But, you know, it, it's fun. Like I like toying with people's mind too. Like it's, it's interesting to me, but you know, at the end of the day, we're just going to do what we do. and it makes us happy and you know we're growing companies and having fun doing it and that's all that matters you know like at the end of the day like it's not all about the money for me like and i don't like you i haven't taken a dime and i've sit i own another business that i i run and operate and then i'm up working you know especially when it's real busy um you know 10 11 o'clock at night putting bridges on saddles and packaging them and like just you know, and, but we, we, we were in, in turn, we, you know, as a company, we just reinvest all of our money back into the company to keep making cool stuff. Cause at the end of the day, you keep making cool stuff, you know, the, the money will catch up and, you know, maybe I'll be able to buy a peanut butter sandwich or something. Or <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's definitely, that's definitely me, man. Putting everything back into it. Um, I had a meeting last week with my partners and, we're looking at it and they're like, oh, you're going you're gonna to have a big tax bill this year. And I'm like, I have no money. And they're like, yeah, but you own all this inventory. And I'm like, yeah. I got to pay, t- pay taxes on that. Because every penny we make goes back into um, buying more products, 
and and designing more products and bringing more stuff in, right? And that's really what it takes yeah. to grow these things and, and do it. And then on the like working hours thing, I have a family business. I get up at four a.m. every day and I drive an hour to work every day and run a construction company. And then I work until ten o'clock at night on Tricer, right? So like it, it, it it's that's probably what people don't see when they do come after you or come after me. Like you don't see how hard I'm working, right? Like I'm working sixteen hours a day, killing myself. Um, when all my buddies are going out and doing stuff, I'm working, right? When my family goes to sleep and I get my kids down, like I'm in bed till 10 o'clock emailing and, and figuring things out. That's why when you come after me, I take it very personally, right? Like it's, yeah. you're coming after, so you're coming after my life, what I'm doing, what, what, what I'm my baby. This is what I'm passionate about. So like, don't come after me and what I'm doing is I don't think you understand what you're doing to me and what that means to me. Um, but yeah, man, we have so much in common. Um, it's, it's pretty neat to see that and see what you're doing out there. Um, I always like to tell like a hunting story, right? So I don't want to end without telling a hunting story. Um, so why don't you give us like your, your favorite hunting story, your best, it doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be your biggest animal, right? Like it could be, uh, you didn't even get anything on. I don't care, but give me, give me a good hunting story. Wrap this thing up. Yeah. I mean, I, I got one that kind of ties into, oh, like I've been hunting this mountain buck up here for a couple years and i was dude i was going in three and a half, i mean i'm not trying to do this story like you know i walk 50 miles you know keep hammering shit but like I, <laughs> I i really like have to like go three and a half miles and i'm just that dude like i, I don't quit until i succeed and i wanted to get on this buck and we have such low deer densities that like you know i can find a good buck and usually kill one up here every couple of years that I've been hunting, but seeing a lot of deer just doesn't happen. But I was so after this deer and it was three and a half miles in one way, 2,200 feet of elevation loft that dropped down into this, these drainages. Then I had to come back up every day and I hunted this deer like 40 sets before I was able to capitalize on him. And I normally, you know, I have to butcher them up and pack them out Western style. And uh, I normally do it by myself and I normally don't have phone service, but I did, but I called, uh my buddies uh that were uh now business partners jordan and tyler to come help me pack it out and, and like i've been hunting this deer this specific deer and honestly the deer i killed i didn't realize it was him at first i knew he was a big deer that i killed but this one specific deer i was hunting had one eye and that was like a uh realist i mean a, a, a little characteristic about him that was unique and i just shot him and i was super psyched um shooting this deer and and really didn't pay much attention and like look him over and then you know i called my buddies jordan and tyler and was like hey y'all y'all want to come pack this deer out tonight and they're like yeah let's do it and so i like packed my equipment out and went and picked them up and then we hiked back in that night and get down there and uh see this animal you know and my buddy jordan was like hey that's that deer you've been chasing he's got one eye and i looked at him and I was like oh shit it is that deer and you know we ended up packing this thing out and it had been like we had a lot of snow and I couldn't even get back in there because I couldn't get my truck up there and we were having a hike out and like coming up the mountain there, you know, it's like, um, you know, we were kind of stretched out. You know how it is. Like when you are packing out of the mountains, like, you know, you all want to be a team, but people just kind of separate. And I'm yeah. like at the top of the mountain looking down at my buddy, Tyler didn't bring uh hiking sticks. And he was like walking up the snow and sliding back down. And, uh, and it's just funny, like you take that scenario of killing, you know, or hunting an animal and 
doing those types of things together. And then all of a sudden you're in business together as well, you know? So it's kind of a unique full turn. I suck at telling hunting stories, to be honest. Um, but, but he was a great buck <laughs> and it was a great experience. He was an archer kill. Um, and yeah, it took a lot of time and termination, but you know, those are the ones that you remember. And you're doing all this when you say you're traditional, you're shooting a recurve or you're shooting like I'm a, a, I'm a, I shoot a reflex deflex longbow. So it's like a more modern longbow is what I prefer to shoot, you know, hunt with from an archer perspective. I mean, I still got to shoot stuff with a gun and muzzleloader. Um, but like 90% of the time I'm hunting with my longbow. And not like wooden arrows or anything. You're like forming your no, own I arrows? Shoot, I, I shoot wooden arrows some uh, to start shooting those this year. But I shoot carbon. Um, you know, I'm semi-trad, I guess. You know, I'm not like all wooden. not shooting like stone points or anything. Like so I would love to shoot something with a stone point. But, you know, I, I chose traditional archery. I started shooting traditional archery, um, I guess, five, six years ago. Just because I like getting close and... Um, I like the simplicity and I like the challenge of traditional archery. Cause like, it's not something that, you know, like you got to consistently do it to be good at it, be consistent. And I don't know, it feels pretty primal to be in the woods with a stick and string like that too, you know? And also the beauty of yeah. it, there's people making these bows, there's bowyers, you know, that are custom innovators themselves. And, you know, my, my bows that I own, I have a couple of different ones from dudes that, make them they're my friends now you know like we became buddies and so that's so cool like you're not going to be buddies with the guy that makes your matthews bow you know what i mean uh and so i I like that side of it and um it's just so cool man when it all comes together it's hard but when you get that animal in that close you put it all together and it works out it's just it's something special about it and i haven't killed anything with a wooden arrow but like a, a goal of mine is to shoot you know mature deer with a wooden arrow and see that wooden arrow that douglas fir shaft snap you know that's kind of like the nostalgia of killing an animal with a wooden arrow seeing it broken there with blood on it so like i'm really getting pumped about that maybe next that's week I'm going, a, I'm going on a week week another week-long trip that's bitching i feel like uh, you joked around about uh tree salad guys being crossfit i feel like uh, the trad bow thing's got crossfit too so you've got like both it's of those there, dude. <laughs> Yeah. You got both those going for you, the trad bow and the tree saddle. Um, yeah. Have you done the, tr- the trad bow out, out west? Like you got an elk with one yet or have you hunted elk? I haven't, I haven't killed an elk with one yet. I uh, I got real close uh, in 2021. Uh, I did a 12-day solo hunt in Colorado. And, man, I got so close on that hunt. And I've been trying to get one out there because I just do, you know, over-the-counter tags. So it's not the easiest anyway in archery it's like what seven eight percent maybe um so yeah i got close twice man one day it was on a herd bull and i just screwed it up i i thought he was gonna come around me on top on this bench where and i had ripped a bugle down and it was like picked a fight with him down there and i eased up i thought just looking at the terrain he was gonna come across the top you know to get some that upward advantage they like to do and i got up there which was like 20 uh it's about 50 yards above the like right there at the hole of this uh, the head of this drainage where i'd bugled from and that sucker man had a harem of cows with him and they all came straight down to that damn drainage and i couldn't get him any closer than 55 <laughs> but he was a dude that was a cool story too because i'd hiked in in the rain and got up there a day before season started and 
it was locked down in the rain. I was soaking wet because I only brought the clothes I was wearing, plus, you know, some puffies and some rain gear. And I set up tent to kind of dry out, you know, because the temperature dropped. And I was sitting in a tent night before season, man. I had a bull bugle about 100 yards behind me up the hill. And then all of a sudden, this just, this gagger rips out across the creek from me. And that sucker, they started going back and forth. And that, that bull I ended up calling in the next day came up to my tent out of that drainage. I got a video of him, which I, 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 I get a lot of content, but I don't put a lot of it out there, to be honest. I, I, just, I need to hire somebody to edit it, I guess. But uh, I got video of me in the tent, like with my little, little camera. I use one of those vlog cameras. And like this bull is just screaming, and he's only like forty yards from my tent, and it was so cool, man. Like, man, those elk get me, but it's getting harder to get on public land elk, man, over the counter for sure. Yeah, with YouTube, everyone's out there running around the bugle tube and just uh, yeah, <laughs> make it a little bit t- make it a little bit harder on you guys for sure. And you're and you're doing that with the trad bow, I get or with the recurve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come out and did it, man. That's awesome, dude. That's a that's a great podcast, bro. That was fun. We should do it again. Um, yeah. Where uh, where can we find you? How do we? Where where can we? Do, where do we get your stuff? Uh, TimberNinjaOutdoors dot com is our website. And then on social, you know, YouTube, um, Instagram, Facebook, it's all TimberNinja Outdoors. We don't have a TikTok yet. We need to get one of those. You know, maybe I'll get our OnlyFans going too. <laughs> a little tree saddle. <laughs> I mean, tree saddle. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a market. Yeah, tree only fans. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, you guys. Jason Red, Timber Ninja Outdoors. Go check them out. Uh, super cool company. I'm sure if you have questions, you can call them up and learn how to do it, or you can get on their videos and get them emails. Like they want to see you guys be successful. Go help uh, support a small business and uh, go get a Timber Ninja tree saddle. Thanks, dude. Let's do it again. Yeah, man. Thanks, dude. Thank you for listening to the Tricer Podcast. Do us a favor and like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Tricer USA. And go and check out all of our innovative gear at www.tricerusa.com. Until next time, shoot straight, have fun, and always put God first.